0: Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. A warning, this episode contains
1: explicit language including detailed discussion of body parts and sex acts. In her smart and very funny Netflix comedy special, Get On Your Knees, performer Jacqueline Novak delivers a kind of TED Talk on the subject of fellatio. It's also a passionate and thoughtful coming-of-age tale delivered in language that's been finely honed to accomplish its very funny purpose. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Jacqueline Novak, Get On Your Knees on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is comedian Guy Branham from the Apple show Platonic. Hello, Guy. Hello, Glenn. Good to be here. Excited to be back with you guys. Great to have you. Also with us is the Philadelphia Inquirer's arts and entertainment editor and film critic, Badatri D. Chaudhry. Hey, Badatri. Hello, hello. Hello. And rounding out to the panel is Margaret H. Willison, faculty with Nuts. Sorry, Productions. Hey, Margaret.
2: Hi, Glenn.
1: So, Jacqueline Novak, she's brainy, she's witty, she's philosophical, she's hilarious. And over the course of her 90-minute special, Get On Your Knees, she prowls the stage as she unpacks and dissects and satirizes... And by her own very reluctant admission, overthinks the whole notion of oral sex from a heterosexual woman's perspective. <laughs> Get On Your Knees started out as an off-Broadway show in 2019 and has since toured nationally and internationally. The special also comes with a great comedic pedigree involving a lot of PCHH's favorite people. The off-Broadway run was directed by comedian John Early. Mm-hmm. The Netflix special was directed by Natasha Leone, And Mike Burbiglia is an executive producer. Jacqueline Novak, Get On Your Knees, is streaming now on Netflix. Margaret, let me start with you. What'd you think?
2: Oh, I just enjoyed it so much, Glenn. Ah. I appreciate that you referred to it as sort of like a TED Talk, because there are ways that it is not like a typical comedy special. Mm -hmm. The shape Mm -hmm. of it is very different, and I loved that. Okay. She ruminates in this really brilliant way on language, and I could have listened to her do that until the end of time. Mm
3: first synonym for penetrate is puncture, but you didn't puncture anything here. This is a working passageway,
2: and it's been one for some time. You missed the ribbon-cutting ceremony. We've been operational for a while now. There are times when it's hewing closer to sort of like the comedy special structure, right. where it just isn't quite working as well for me. There's the big sort of like fireworks display joke at the end mm-hmm. that just wasn't as funny for me as a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff earlier, yep. but it was still extremely funny. And just throughout, I was... So engrossed. Mm-hmm. This is my first experience with Jacqueline Novak, and I'm so excited to see more work from her and so glad that I got to see this special.
1: Excellent. Well, okay, thank you very much. Badatri, what'd you think?
4: I'm with Margaret there. I mean, I'm with Margaret ish there. I, I don't think I found it very quote unquote big F funny per se. I wasn't like clutching on to the sides of my stomach, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing to say where, with a comedy stand up special. The prose is fantastic. The writing is fantastic. And this is where, (laughs) like, you guys go, nerd. Like, I think (laughs) what she does (laughs) with the English language. And I know it sounds very trite, but to reconfirm and re-highlight the gendered nature of the way we look at language is fantastic. I'm like, you know, I am like lit grad nodding on this completely. I I really appreciated <laughs> uh-huh. the writing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Now, Guy, we should note here for listeners that you kind of know Novak. You've said you're professional friends and colleagues the way that all comedians are friends and colleagues. Yeah. I gather your professional appreciation for this particular show is not something you arrived at. That out of kind of politeness for a friend, oh, right?
5: Not at all. Like, Jacqueline is somebody I know because you know all stand-up comedians, and I would say that she does end up more in my tide pool than other tide pools. But okay. I also think that this show is reflective of sort of the Brooklyn, John Early... Let's talk about big concepts in weird ways. School of New York stand-up comedy <laughs> and the one-liner, 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 like comedy seller world of, of stand-up comedy. Sure, okay, this is what I think stand-up should be. Like when when Jacqueline was working this out in. L.A., there were a couple of times when I was on a show and then she was doing this afterwards, and I was just like, I'm going to stay. I'm going to spend an (laughs) hour and a half (laughs) just (laughs) seeing what this is. I got to watch jokes come in and out, and it was really interesting seeing this live show that I enjoyed so much be turned into a special because Mm -hmm. there is a way that a comedy special is always not real (laughs) Uh stand-up, but Uh this is, Uh to me, a... Essay built out of one liners. And I-, I loved it.
1: Okay. Uh, if you're waiting for the big, like, fiery disagreement, you're not going to get it, listeners. Sorry. <laughs> I love this too. But I, man, I really, I really pick up on what, but Doctor, you're talking about. I mean, it, it, this is very funny and smart, and the parts that weren't funny were smart. And of the course, parts... yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, I, I didn't even like burst into a chuckle. Of course, I. <laughs> no, of course not. But I don't think that is what the show is about.
1: Exactly. That, that's what I want to get out here. Yeah. I was struck also <laughs> by her, but persona, approach, delivery, whatever you want to say. And at first, yes, you notice, you can't help but notice that this does not have the familiar energy of stand up that. The kind that engages the audience directly, mm-hmm. the symbolic relationship of the comic feeds the audience and also feeds off the audience. And look, I don't miss it. <laughs> if you just go by TikTok right now, <laughs> yep. you might be laboring under the impression that stand-up is just crowd work. And and I'm going to glensplain to Guy Brenham here, but like stand-up <laughs> is mostly <laughs> thoughts and phrases that have been shaped into language over the course of many, many nights. And she is not waiting on the audience. She is not gauging their reaction. She's barreling mm-hmm. through – and uh-huh. she is expressing this stuff in such a theoretical, abstract, the word she uses is artistic way. The New York Times called it a uh, stand-up that leans into theater. But, I mean, you don't, she's doing that intentionally, right? You don't do a J. Alfred Prufrock riff without knowing what you're doing.
3: <laughs> you know, I, I had the boyfriend laid out on a bed like a patient he thrived upon a table. His body a slow-moving fog, I guess. I've got him... That is why the lid grad in me is, like, <laughs> jumping
4: up and down right
1: now. <laughs> That's exact. I could hear your fist pumping all the way from here. Yeah,
2: And I just wanted to throw in, like, this is a safe space with you three. <laughs> I didn't catch the J. Alfred Prufock reference, you know, and the special still really worked for me. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone at home and you just aren't as sharp on your T.S. Eliot as everybody, <laughs> you know, I just want you to know this is still for you. Of
5: course. <laughs> the yes. boldness of not being scared to do stuff like that. Like, if there is something about this that makes it not for everybody or not the greatest, it is that some of these punchlines aren't for everybody, mm-hmm. but they're for me and it makes me so happy. And, and also there's a way that, You know, yes, she is theatrical in that she is not, like, having that back and forth with the audience. But in that, there is so frequently a lot of empty space. That is where comedians rest up. Like, you can do stuff that isn't as hard. And Mm -hmm. this is an hour and a half of hard. Like, this is, to me, (laughs) like, as a stand-up watching it, I was just in awe of the physical stamina and resiliency. The reason that most people don't do it is because they can't easily sculpt phrases (laughs) like that. You know, Mm -hmm. they've got four
1: per show. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Jacqueline's got hundreds. The joke writing calls as much attention as the jokes. The form is just as fun to think about as the function, right? And also, like, the blending of high and low. Like, to me, this is a grand meditation
5: about gender, bodies, and narrative and perspective, agency. Oh,
4: absolutely.
5: It, like, it is a big argument about what the mythology of sexuality has done to women and receptive sexual partners for all of time. <laughs> but it, it gets into the dirt and it gets dirty. Like, I really love this one hamburger joke that she has.
3: To me, a vulva may be beautiful in the way a burger is beautiful. <laughs> burger with all its particular fixings, you know, wrapped up in crinkly, greasy, foiled paper. And then they cut it. I love when they wrap it up and then they cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's just
4: say that joke
1: holds. (laughs) 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 But that's the bit, right? We are talking about stuff that is so bodied, literally bodied, carnal, visceral, Mm -hmm. and stuff that in any comedic setting you're only used to hearing about with like those... Short, percussive, ugly Anglo Saxon verbs, and we're talking about them <laughs> in a way that is so lyrical, metaphorical, intellectual. That's mm-hmm. tension. That's the disconnect. And that's what's driving this entire show. That's what's keeping her going.
2: Right. And that also seems to be sort of like what's a driving factor for her. Mm-hmm as a person, right, is she's talking about like her reluctance to be embodied. Right. Right? Which is something that like I related to like so, so deeply. And basically like the entire show is kind of engaging with that theme, embodying.
0: (laughs) Because it is
2: the disembodied hyper-intellectual perspective being forced to be brought to, like, the earthiest of acts. Yeah, and I remember,
4: um, you know, she was performing in Philadelphia last summer, and I remember editing an interview with her. This is, of course, before the special, when she took her off-Broadway show on the road. Mm -hmm. And she says, I actually don't think oral sex is funny. I just think I'm funny. (laughs) And I think she's written the synopsis for her show herself with that one line.
1: Yeah, the more... I got into this the more I just surrendered to it because this is what happens whenever you see someone who is clearly in absolute control of their gifts, right? The precision yep. is the point. But that kind of kicked me out of the realm of stand-up into the realm of monologist. right? Into Spalding Gray and Eve Ensler mm-hmm. and Mike Daisy and and Mike Birbiglia who – don't get it twisted. He has – his delivery can seem kind of loose and shaggy. But once you take a step back and mm-hmm. look at the structure of a Birbiglia show, it's nested Russian dolls all the way down. But that raises the question for me, maybe not for everyone, but for me certainly, does it matter what we call this stand-up monologue? One woman show, God help us? (laughs) It
5: matters to me, and I think that this show is a searing defense of stand-up. The first time I ever saw Jacqueline, she was on stage at like a little bar in a basement on the Lower East Side, and she was walking around in a circle like that. And Europeans who were there to see the music act afterwards showed up and were not paying attention, and John Early tried to quiet them down. And Jacqueline popped up and said, no, no, John, my job is as a stand-up comedian, if nothing else, to hold attention. And I realized Mm -hmm. that she was, while using tools that are very different, was still playing within the world of what I understand. And I think that... This show to me is a beautiful response to Nanette uh, uh, mm-hmm. from yes. Hannah Gatsby. <laughs> like, Hannah Gatsby is arguing stand up cannot hold my experience in a way that is sensitive to me because it must have a victim. And this show is about. The triumph of perspective, that even when there is something Mm -hmm. in your mouth that removes your power to narrate your own experience, that Jacqueline's perspective Mm -hmm. is strong enough to take control of all of these myths and all of these people around her. And it's funny.
3: The problem is that in those moments when I'm doing it badly, I won't be able to articulate to the person that I know that I'm doing it badly. (laughs) My mouth is stuffed. Full of genitals. Do you see? Do you see the blowjob precludes your
5: ability to narrate? To... It is built of jokes, like this is
1: a defensive stand-up. Yeah, I was a viewer who was coming into this waiting for the Nanette moment, the rug pull, right? Cuz mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we're dealing with sex, and we're dealing with sex in such a playful intellectual way as to almost render it safe and comic. Mm-hmm. But there's a mention of a sex act And a moment that she refers to as what some might call peer pressure that is just fraught, (laughs) incredibly fraught. And I kept waiting for that to come back in a darker Mm. way. Spoiler alert, it does not. Um, But is that – do you understand that impulse, that that conception of what she's doing?
2: I definitely understand what you're talking about, Glenn, because I think it's so rare that we spend time meditating on the, like, ways – Sex is complicated for women, Uh right? Without Uh meditating on the ways that sex is uh, violent for women. Uh Like, I just think that we don't actually spend that much time talking about women's sexual experiences when we're not talking about sexual violence. Uh, and, you know, it makes sense. You know, sexual violence is a part of a lot of people's lives. But it was yep. incredible to see this space where we're playing in the sort of middle range mm-hmm. of processing sex and female identity rather than playing at either extreme. Mm-hmm. And they got me out to the car and they chanted, blow him, blow him, blow him, blow him.
3: Maybe it sounds like peer pressure to some. I didn't experience it as such. No, I experienced their pressure as support, you see, because I was a young Tony Robbins reader. So I knew that if you tell people your goals, you become more likely to achieve them. You you feel accountable. Uh, to Margaret's point, I also think the writing concerns consent in a way that,
4: like, sex is enjoyable. Sex can also be violent. But the point is, and I think a lot of times, and of course she talks about it, uh, like Glenn said, like, you know, of course it may be it's a consent that is manufactured through peer pressure or just societal expectations of women as Mm -hmm. sexual beings. But at the end of the day, and this is, I mean, again, like she doesn't have that big, glorious ending, but she says, it still remains very sex positive. She's like, I, this is not I'm not saying you should stop doing this. But you know, it's it's that idea. I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know if I should just go go ahead and call it agency, but there is a lot of agency which she is holding in this power. I think that's exactly the word for it. Even in an act where she's probably not at an age where you do it well or it it's not good, it's not bad. But the thing is it's something she's doing it and it's something she is doing when she wants to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of power in that.
5: And she sets that up really well by that first 40 minutes is her prize fighting with mythology. It is her taking right. down yeah. and making yes. penises less powerful. Like when she describes the penis as being fundamentally floral, like in a very, very verbal show, the moments that she decides to do physical comedy are so fun. But I think that this ambiguity mm-hmm. that you guys are pointing to, that it does not simply go in one of the two directions that we are allowed... Does set up the stage for what I think is her big ending, which is her invocation of teeth, her talking about the complexities that make a purity of experience, like, not diminished, but increased. Mm -hmm. I really think she is not being scared to be complex. And that's so fun.
2: I think that that is really something that can be speaking to specifically the example you brought up, Glenn, of being sort of brought to this party to perform a sex act. Yep. And when she says, I experienced that as support, (laughs) like, I really believed her. I believe that she experienced that as support then and experiences it as support now. And it's like we live in a coercive sexual culture, right? Yeah. Like that's, we're still in the process of undoing that. And yet still within that coercive sexual culture, we have experiences that like we get to define, that we get to understand mm-hmm. that can be normal, that can be supportive, that can be painful. And like, I loved the way that she was articulating. Like she speaks to also, she has a little bit on want, right? Where it's like, oh, if I wanted this, like why was I hesitating? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I've never hesitated over a French fry. I've never hovered over a French hovered fry. Hovered
1: is the word. <laughs> Again, precise language.
2: She does this incredible job of then articulating what the want is. Mm-hmm. So the want isn't the simple want one has to eat a French fry. Right. But the want is real and legitimate and it belongs to her. Mm-hmm. And I found that really powerful. Like I loved that element of this Special.
4: But, I mean, the last few minutes is like a very verbose and passionate defense of what one might call her style. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I find that fascinating. I said, you know, I've spent all these years trying to do this thing, learn this thing. <laughs> now you've got it like, you know, now I do it a certain way and I'm going to defend it. It's my style now. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, again, that question of consent, owning it, if you will, I think that's beautiful.
5: Uh, just two points to style. I thought her choice of outfit was really surprising Mm -hmm. and cool. Like mm-hmm. everybody puts on a little dress or like a leather suit, yes. And she is in <laughs> jeans and a gray T-shirt. The way that she performs this in real life, but I did think I didn't love the way that this was directed. She stalked around a stage, and I frequently felt for the first twenty minutes like the spotlight couldn't follow her.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
5: She yep. makes a joke about not wanting to be gossamer, but uh, if if she were a ghost, she would want at least seventy percent opacity, and. There there are these sort of, like, dynasty lights in the background, yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't love that. I thought that there might yeah. be a way of doing it better, but, like, by 20 minutes in, I wasn't thinking about the visuals. I was thinking about the performance.
2: That is so well yeah. said.
1: Yeah. Let's let's talk about the physicality, because I was grateful that she did not have the Madonna mic, the Steve Jobs head mic, whatever, you, <laughs> whatever your frame of reference is. Uh, she needs an actual microphone. Because given the subject, it functions as a prop. In some cases, it functions as kind of a stand-in. <laughs> the thing I kept getting distracted by was that cord. That cord is so thick. She looked like a stevedore hauling something out of a cargo hold. Now, she clearly wanted that bit of business. And it never looked awkward per se, but it always looked like something. Like Was mm-hmm. that part of like the Broadway, the off-Broadway
5: show? Like I never saw her off-Broadway. I only saw her in spaces where she wasn't amplified. Oh, okay. But I do think as somebody who has definitely thrown a mic cord as though it were a cape, I definitely understand. (laughs) Like, and I think to me, it is like, again, rooting herself in stand-up and like a wireless mic, even a wireless mic is in its way a step away from what old school stand-up is. I was surprised she didn't move a mic stand out of the way.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's that um, embodying the tension, right? If she's doing Mm -hmm. something, radical. She's doing something that's pushing the form forward, but she's keeping herself anchored to that form in sort of visible ways that she really makes her own. Like, she throws that Mm cord around with such a land.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
5: There is always this temptation to distance yourself from that which is embarrassing and you know is trash. And stand-up at its best should be able to acknowledge the presence of those things in your world and also the ridiculousness of them. And, like, at no point here do I feel like Jacqueline is being false to feel cool. She is boldly (laughs) honest through
1: all of this artifice and it really makes me happy. Boldly honest for the artifice. I think that's a great place to end. Uh, Tell us what you think about Jacqueline Novak's Get On Your Knees. Find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash P-C-H-H. Up
0: next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Squarespace. Kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI, generating instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. No matter the placement, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Use code HAPPYHOUR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Official Hacks Podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the Official Hacks Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt
1: like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Now it is time for our favorite segment of this weekend. Every week, what is making us happy this week? Margaret, what's making you happy this week?
2: Glenn, this is a very embarrassing thing to say, but what's making me happy this week is my job. (laughs) We don't hear that often. Oh, hey. I know, I know. (laughs) Say it again. (laughs) Say
1: it again. Repeat it.
2: I've just gotten to announce my next class for Not Sorry, and it is going to be a... combination reading and writing class where we're examining sense and sensibility but we're letting me investigate my feeling that like that book like there are just like like a couple things i just want to tweak in there so we're going to be doing that with the fan fiction practice of a fix it fix so we'll sure. be reading through and then playing with the various different things that we get to change in it. And that's all great. And then the thing that brings it up another level is it means I get to incorporate one of the greatest books of all time, which is Emma Thompson's filming diary for the 1995 oh. adaptation of Sense of yeah, Sensibility. Right. She starred in and wrote. And that is an incredibly delightful text. And so it's just like I'm marinating in all of these things I care about. And I'm sorry my job is making me happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Margaret. But Dottry, what is making you happy this week?
2: Um,
4: what is making me happy this week is a documentary called "Time Bomb Y2K." The directors of the film are Brian Becker and Marley McDonald. It's a completely, absolutely archival documentary that documents the frenzy around the Y2K bug. Mm -hmm. Y2K was my first idea of what a catastrophe could look like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've always been very sad at the lack of representation of that mm. fear of that, like, frenzy around it. And, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, nothing happened. It was nothing. It was just like, millennials doing their own, own thing of overreacting. <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, it was a very big deal. And I love this documentary, because it treats it as a big deal you know there's there's a lot of lot of archival material news clippings from around the world that just talk about this thing that was going to happen mm-hmm. that we thought would be the end of the world as we know it anyone who's my age and older and younger for your general knowledge and education please <laughs> watch this documentary that is time bomb y2k on hbo
1: thank you very much badatri sounds great guy what is making you happy this week
5: glad There is a parlor game that improvisers like to play. Some call it mafia. Some call it werewolf. But the basic idea is you going? you're trying to figure out who's lying. All I want out of uh-huh. television is for beloved celebrities to play parlor games. And there is a uh-huh. show called Traitors on yes. Peacock yes, there is. And it is the way that 11 year old boys fight about who would win in a fight Hawkman <laughs> or Iron Man. You, you get to see your most beloved reality show liars. Uh-huh. And it is beautiful to watch, like realizing that a bachelor. Has to be able to lie and cheat as much as a Big Brother contestant. Amazing. Ooh. At all times, Alan Cumming, the host, is dressed as, <laughs> yep. is essentially performing the Deborah Carr character from Casino Royale, <laughs> doing the <laughs> broadest of Scottish drag in performance
1: and Uh activity. It is a magical show. It's a magical show, Guy. You're absolutely right. And the second season is so much better than the first because we don't care about real people. We don't want real people playing this game. We want
5: Parvati to play the game. We
1: want Parvati to play this game. We want Housewives to play this game who understand that Housewives is a game. This show is a game.
5: Brandy Glanville was so good the first season. I was just like, yes! (laughs)
1: So, again, that is The Traders, a wonderful show on Peacock. Thank you, Guy Branham. What's making me happy this week? Have any of y'all, in your travels across the vasty web, your internetual (laughs) peregrinations, stumbled across (laughs) the Instagram account of one Mr. Richard E. Grant?
5: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I don't Uh, think I
1: have. For folks, he's a British actor. He's technically a Swazi English actor, if you're keeping count at home. Long and storied career, this guy. Played mostly, most notably, anyway. If not villains, then what the Brits call cads and bounders, you know. (laughs) His most famous roles kind of make you think, like, when you need to cast a human sneer, you go with my guy, Uh Ari. Yeah, he
4: was in Saltburn. Sorry, yes, I am Googling on the Uh, side. His
1: Instagram account is a kind of startling, pervasive uh, wholesomeness. It is wholesomeness distilled to its essence. He just greets the world with open-hearted wonder at Everything, like whether he's just sh- sharing with you his feelings of delight and expectation because he's about to meet his daughter at Heathrow Airport <laughs> or he's walking back to h- his hotel. He's in Austria and he's kind of glow because he's just taken in Puccini's Manon Lescaut at Klagenfurt. <laughs> oh
4: my God, I want this content in my life.
1: The one I've gone back to most often is the simplest one and it's just his wonderfully crinkly... Character filled face staring down the barrel of his phone as he often does. It's a little like zooming your mom because sometimes uh-huh. it's sometimes a little close. The phone's a little close. He's outside on a city street and there's flurries in the air around him and he just says simply, Vienna, snowing at Christmas time. Ah! <laughs> and I could watch that all day. That is Richard E. Grant's Instagram. That is what's making me happy, nay, ecstatic this week. And if you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. But Datri D. Chaudhry, Guy Branham, Margaret H. Willison, thank you so much to all for being here.
2: Thank you for having us, Glad.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: This was the funniest
1: episode. <laughs> <laughs> This very fun episode was produced by Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzoff. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all next week.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR.
2: Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what?
0: We saw amazing effects.